Hello everyone, this is Chris Miller, your co-host of your absolute favorite podcast of all time, Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Uh, today we just want to ask you, if you're enjoying it, to subscribe to our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can get exclusive content, and you can help out Rob and Chris do all the things you love so well. Remember to hold fast and enjoy the show. First episode of 2020. Yeah, brand new decade. New decade. The Barbara Walters years. That yeah. way. Cool, that went over. Like, <laughs> that went over like a <laughs> fart in a crowded elevator right here. I thought, I thought we were really going to go into the Ramones joke that Padre talked about earlier. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because here in about four hours, it's going to be 20, 20, 24 hours to go. Yeah. That was your cute meme. I did like that you, you you called it a cute meme because a Ramones <laughs> meme can't be a spicy meme. It cannot be a spicy <laughs> meme. Have you seen Joey Ramone? There's nothing <sighs> spicy about that man. How many Ramones are we before we get the family reunion? Ooh. I think we're down to one. I think down it's down one. one. Yeah, I there's one left. One. I think so. Is, I'm almost. Who's the one who's still it. remaining? Is it? It's not. Because Joey's gone. Joey's gone. Dee Dee's gone. It isn't it? Yeah, Dee Dee's yeah. gone. Hang on, I'm on the internet. You guys keep filling time. I'm Google the <laughs> Chris Miller, being a pure internet. So, uh, we proposed a challenge before we uh, before we turned on the recording equipment of, uh, by the end of this episode, all four of the esteemed gentlemen sitting in this room, five if you count Jack, uh, Jack the Golden Retriever, will be presenting a New Year's resolution. So, we eagerly await that, almost as much as we eagerly awaited Chris playing Six Degrees of, <laughs> Six degrees of Kevin Bacon between uh, Alistair Crowley's asshole and who was it? Uh, who was it? Oh God! It was Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley's butthole. Was it Ozzy Osbourne? No, no it, was, it was. It was. Didn't we just link Kevin Bacon? Oh yeah, between Kevin it, Bacon. It just and, went yeah. Kevin Bacon to Kevin yeah, and Bacon I used Ozzy Crowley's butthole. Yeah, uh, and yeah, we got our uh, our family reunion in 2014. Tommy died in 14. Oh wow! So they are all gone. Oh. Yeah, Joey was 01. <laughs> Dee was 2002, Johnny yeah. was 2004, Tommy was uh, okay. 14. I yeah. thought Tommy was still alive. No, man, apparently it's, not. It's, how many bands is it that, that you can think of that the drummer lasts the longest? Like, I mean, like... It wasn't you, the who. What do you think? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it was part of Def Leppard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, give the Beatles another decade and we'll find out. Yeah, yeah we're getting there. Whichever one of Def Leppard's 16 limbs is what did, in a jar. What did somebody say, like, the two surviving Beatles, or, like, they just happen to be vegetarian. Like, it wasn't eating meat that killed Lennon. <laughs> no, it was, no, it was Mark, uh, David, it was, it was Mark it was just, David Chapman with a firearm. I'm going to buy myself a new apartment and just walk in and out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, that's the whole thing, is they had to play the song about the octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. First episode of 2020. Welcome to Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades, everybody. I'm Rob North. I am your co-host, Chris Miller. I am Michael Arnett. I am Kyle Graper. Yep. Gang's all here. We are today wrapping up our series on Marshall Applewhite and the Heaven's Gate cult. I can't say that I'm sad about it. I am going to be kind of happy to see the back of this one, I'll be honest. I this... had just, I was watching some of these videos and I just stopped. Like, I oh, haven't yeah. even picked anything up for this and like... I don't know. It, like, this is probably before Christmas. I just, I was done with it. Like, I have my notes. And Chris just, Miller, endlessly good. dedicated to research. This is what your Patreon money I had to, No, I'm telling you, man. Whenever you're watching these <laughs> yeah. videos, and then, and it's not just their videos. It's edited, like, 
the way they're cut, and it's on this YouTube channel that's really, really informative. Well, they had but professional it's videographers come in to record all of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been paid to videotape, so technically I am a professional videographer. Mm -hmm. That's not a big threshold. Well, but it wasn't self-done. I mean, the, the, the... Yeah, they had they had a third party come in to do this. Yeah. But at the end of it, like, it it tells you about... the It shows them. Like, well, it shows them, their yeah. body. And, like, and then it, it cuts in, into, like, interviews with their family and shit. And oh, you... Oh, no, 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 no. You mean uh, Rio's... Uh, Rio's video in the oh, in the house. Yeah. In the, I thought you were talking about the departure yeah, on videos. the twenty six. Well, I, it it is the departure videos, and then they cut. Oh to, yeah, then they do cut to it. Ooh, to ooh, those, ooh. and then like their family, and it's just yeah. it's fucked up. I'm well, telling, like, I'm we'll get into that, that a little bit later. Uh, so if you don't know who we're talking about, uh, Marshall Applewhite was the leader of the uh, millenarian UFO obsessed esoteric pseudo Christian cult known as Heaven's Gate which he led with his partner and fellow prophet Bonnie Lou Nettles, which went on to have 39 of their members commit ritual mass suicide in 1997. Also, this is part three of a series of three, so come on, go back, you go back, people. Listen to parts one and two. It says it says part three in the title. You should know better. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to cover here. And uh, speaking of a lot to cover, let's cover right now, definitely delivering a content warning on this episode. This is going to, you know... Exploring this cult can be kind of fun, kind of weird at times. It is going to get fucked up towards the very, very end. Big um, trigger warning. Yeah, we are dealing with the the suicides of actually forty two people. Um, so it, by the end of this story, so yeah, that that might be uh, something that might be a little too heavy for you. Something that may trigger something in you. Uh, we totally understand, and we understand if you want to give this one a skip. Yeah, and this is as good a time of any uh, as any to let everybody know that the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. It is available twenty four hours a day. Um, if this is something that's going to trigger you, it's probably a number that you should keep. Keep in your phone just in case you never yep. know. And we will repeat that number before the end of the episode. So uh, let's move on to our sources. Of course, we have Heaven's Gate, America's UFO Religion by Professor Benjamin Zeller, uh, professor, uh, professor of Religion at Lake Forest College in Illinois. This is probably the seminal work on the Heaven's Gate cult. It, 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 stop giggling, Kyle. I know I said seminal. Uh, <laughs> vesicles? <laughs> Weenus? I hate all of you. You're all children. Um, We're going to do that again before this story. Oh, ends. absolutely. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's an excellent book. I, I have a copy in front of me. Mike has a copy in front of him. It, it's, it's a fantastic work that goes well beyond the story of the cult and really starts breaking down their beliefs, the esotericism, the mysticism of it all. And there, there is a lot to it, uh, a lot of which we couldn't even begin to cover in the time we have. Absolutely. We also have uh, Closing the Gate by Deb Simpson. Uh, this is a very, very interesting read. It's mostly in the form of a collection of anecdotes and letters, and it is written by a woman whose brother was a member of the cult and who ended up uh, being one of the victims of the uh, suicides by the end of it. Uh, there's also an excellent essay by Robert Balch, who's a renowned sociologist from the University of Montana. It's called Making Sense of the Heaven's Gate Suicides. Uh, Robert Balch has also explored uh, other interior organizations such as the Love Family and the Aryan Nations Prison Gang. And if, there is a, an excellent podcast out there dedicated to the story of Heaven's Gate. It takes 10 ep episodes and explores the process of the cult's formation, their practices, and the final events of 1990, uh, 1997. Sort of the story we're exploring here, but it's not going to be like four of your drunk uncles talking about it. Well, and it's... It, it, it might be. 
I think I think oh. you're giving you're giving, you're giving us way too much credit. <laughs> well, they uh, one of the things I love about that that particular podcast is that they do interview the victims' families. Yes, um, you get a much better insight mm-hmm. um, directly from the people that were involved. Yes, they they interview uh, members of the victims' families. They interview ex members. They and they interview a guy who still is a believer in the message of Sawyer. We'll get into yeah. Him. Of uh, Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. Uh, so, shall we go into the final part of the story? I feel like we should the also NBA. take our time to thank our sponsor today, which is, of course, Nike. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get we'll talk about that at the end as well. They uh, turns out they didn't are they like. Gonna, are they going to do the twenty-five year re-release in twenty twenty two? Somehow, Mike, I doubt it. Uh, they were not a big fan of the publicity they got in nineteen. People be so much less pissed off about that than the Kaepernick thing, though. Yeah, <laughs> he's got new shoes out. Ooh, look at him, classic looking black numbers. <laughs> so, uh, gentlemen, what I'd like to do, I'd, I'd like to begin um, with a uh, focusing prayer. So, I ask that you align your chakras, you open your third eye. I'm not giving anyone the shocker. Well, and, uh, and I'm Let definitely me... not opening my third eye for that. <laughs> brown eye? God, What's what? that Patreon level? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, ten thousand dollar a month grand poobah level. Mike will open his third eye for all of you. Amen. <laughs> so, let's begin. I would like to know more than I know now. I would like to have more control over my vehicle, its chemistry, its thoughts its responses, its desires, than I now have. I would like to try to rise above the things that distract me and bind me to this world. There is a spot in the middle of my head. I am now concentrating, focusing on that spot. It is about the size of my eyeball. It is like a gland that has been asleep, inactive, waiting for me to concentrate on it. I am, right now, going to feel it become active and alive. I am focusing on it. I can feel it now in its location. All of my energy is being directed towards this next level gland. As this spot accepts all of my energy, it is helping my chemistry change. I can feel the power of that energy there. I can feel the calm of that power. I can feel my chemistry in control. I feel no frustration or anxiety. I feel only that calm, powerful energy. As this spot becomes more alive, it will help me sustain this calm. It will eliminate distraction from my goal. It will keep me clear. I will know more. As I recognize higher control and knowledge, I will adopt it quickly, discarding my weakness. My potential for growth is limitless. I am rapidly changing. Growth has been offered to me, and I am choosing to become it. I feel and hear that spot coming to life. Change vehicle. Change chemistry. I am going to hold on to this until I sit and become even more. I shall become the next level. This was from a booklet authored by Bonnie Lou Nettles in early 1985 called Preparing for Service. Another... We're sure that wasn't about the penis. I mean, in, in the middle. I don't of see any reason why it couldn't have been. Yeah, I thought it was part of Marianne Williamson's political campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a quote from her last performance of the debates. <laughs> so another excerpt reads: "The power of life is flowing through me. My body is healing perfectly. With strong intent and powerful feeling, my body receives a perfect healing. Help me have no human ways, no thoughts of self, no faults to see." Only the ways of space. Now I know my heart is fast. In my father's path at last. Only the ways of space. Only the ways of space. So as the 1980s drew to a close, Marshall Applewhite 
aka Doe, found himself solely at the head of the Heaven's Gate group after the death of his inspiration, partner, and conduit to higher levels of human evolution, Bonnie Nettles, aka T, from Cancer of the Everywhere in 1985. T's death presented him with a problem, as the group's doctrine had been that one could ascend to the evolutionary level above human, which we will continually refer to as Tila, as a whole unit of body and soul. But T's body had been very much left behind. So Applewhite began to create a shift in the doctrinal beliefs of the group that the ascension to Tila would most likely involve having to leave their earthly vehicles, which is what they called their bodies, behind in order to have the consciousness transferred to a more perfect body that wouldn't require any of those small, disgusting little human acts like eating or fucking in order to sustain themselves. Now, the period after Nettle's death also involved a few changes in Applewhite's approach to leadership as well. The first was a serious increase in Applewhite's paranoia, as the symptoms of his paranoid schizophrenia were exacerbated by the lack of Bonnie's calming presence. He began to avoid bringing in new converts out of a worry that there were infiltrators among them, seeking to expose and spoil their grand plan for ascension, and he began to fear that the government was planning a raid on their homes, often referencing the resistance put up by the Jewish defenders of the mountain fortress of Masada against the Roman army in 74 AD, which of course also ended in mass suicide. Along with this fear of conspiracy came a shift in tone towards the apocalyptic. Whereas most, most followers of esotericism leaned towards the idea that great changes would be coming to Earth, but in the form of a movement towards a more uh, utopian future, Applewhite began to maintain that humanity was a failed ecological experiment and compared Earth to an overgrown garden that had to be spaded under in order to, for life be, to begin anew on its surface. We also see a growth in his focus on the Luciferians, the evil, twisted, sex-having aliens that were the adversaries to Tila that we mentioned in the last episode, who were determined to keep humanity on its current evolutionary level and suppress us by making us do things like eat, sleep, and bang each other. Could it be <laughs> Satan? <laughs> How convenient! <laughs> Now, we also see a major shift in any and all writing and statements released by Applewhite away from the self-awareness and improvement message like that seen in the prayers I read earlier towards a focus on visualization of the next world, uh, the heavenly vision, much like uh, the sort of thing we see in Enochian Apocrypha in the Jewish tradition or from Catholic mystics like St. Teresa of Avila and Athanasius of Alexandria, showing us that Applewhite is trying to focus his followers less on improving themselves in order to be worthy of ascension to Tila and more on preparing themselves for the actual event. Finally, the last major shift we see is the reemergence of a fascination with space travel and UFOs in the public consciousness in the late 80s and early 90s. Now you have shows like Stargate, The X-Files, and Star Trek The Next Generation that become hugely popular on TV. You have stories of these mass UFO events like the Gulf Breeze sightings, the Travis Walton abduction, uh, the Coronado Group abductions, and the Hudson Valley sightings that are starting to become subjects of serious study. And studies of UFO activity are so by scientifically-minded authors like... Um, Stanton Friedman, Whitley Strieber, Jacques Vallée, these are all contributing to the more universal belief in the idea of extraterrestrial life and their visits to Earth. And we see this reflected in Applewhite's renewed focus on the event, the visitation, the moment of ascension. Now in 1988, Heaven's Gate finally decides to keep less of a low profile and put together a booklet for proselytizing purposes, presumably authored by Applewhite, that helped to better illustrate the group's history, providing a reading list of materials mostly focused on UFOs and Christian mysticism, but most importantly, it laid out full, in full and in writing the group's theology. As a point of clarification, and again, I think we mentioned this in the first episode, mm -hmm. the, uh, 
the status of these people as victims, basically of a murder, as opposed to seeing this as a just great suicide. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was reading this week, and I found it kind of interesting, is some, and we talked about this um, off the air, Rob. Um, the what I found interesting is these are these these are age old heresies. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from the Christian tradition, and particularly the Catholic tradition. And before, when you're listening to this podcast, when you're listening to any podcast about Heaven's Gate, when it sounds like this is really, really loony, remember that the person that is talking right now and 1.2 billion other people on this planet take for faith every Sunday morning that we believe a piece of bread and wine turns into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So there are things that we take on faith in mainstream Christendom that if you look at it divorced from or out of its context, looks really, really insane. So as we get into this, that's something to bear in mind about these 41 other people that weren't T and W. Well, we were, we were, what we were also talking about is this reemergence of esotericism and Christian mysticism in the late 20th century is basically a reemergence of stuff that was around in the third, fourth, and fifth centuries. It's basically Gnosticism wrapped up in different terminology. Right. This is the Aryan myth. This is yes. not Aryan as in what you know from Hitler and the Third Reich. Arius, uh, the guy that got punched in the face by St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. At, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> at Constantinople. If you'd like to hear that story, go back and listen to uh, Chris uh, and I do our Chris's holiday non-denominational holiday holiday special. But this about is, them and the Yule lads. This, <laughs> this is the this is the same heresy though that that, that everything is physical. Everything mm-hmm. is a physical manifestation. That sin is a physical manifestation and must be avoided entirely. And we'll get into that yeah. later too. So uh, I have a couple excerpts from that booklet that came out. Uh, The first one, quote, Approximately 2,000 years ago, an individual of the next kingdom forfeited his body of that kingdom and entered a human female's womb, thereby incarnating as the one history refers to as Jesus of Nazareth. He awakened to this fact gradually through the same metamorphic process. Jesus Christing, or christening, was completed at his transfiguration, or his metamorphic completion, and he remained in the larva environment with other humans only for some 40 days to show that his teachings had been accomplished. Um, that's my best Marshall Applewhite impression. I noticed that. I noticed that. <laughs> you need the you blink list. You did, yeah. No, I, did. I didn't see blink too much. I'm also <laughs> reading off of a screen, so. Uh, yeah, and then there's a, um, a second excerpt here. Quote, since that time of the death, the death referring to here being that of uh, Bonnie Nettles, Doe had been experiencing the role of having to communicate mentally with her, his older member, in a strengthening opportunity for mental or telepathic communication, not to be confused with the popular concept of channeling or spiritualism. The class has witnessed T's mind mesh with Doe's thinking, and even his choice of words as he talks to them. Does the quote, the father is in me and I am in my father, mean... Maybe a little more than we previously thought it might. End quote. So, you have this book. And and looking at this booklet, doesn't specifically say that Bonnie Nettles is the same being as the God of the Bible. But you have these words from John 14, 11. 
that Jesus uses to refer to God the Father, and I think it's pretty clear what they're implying. They are saying that this elevated being that was contained within Bonnie Nettles is God. And that the elevated being contained in Marshall Applewhite is the next step down from God. He is God's presence on earth. He is the Christ figure. And we're going to hear more and more out of that, especially once they start having an internet presence, where he really does start directly comparing himself to Jesus Christ. Applewhite loves taking it to the line up to just explicitly saying, I am Christ. Mm-hmm. And stopping right before he, had, he gets there and lets you come to that conclusion. Yeah, he's himself. good at letting you come to that conclusion. Like, it's the only logical thing that could come at the end of this sentence. Like, oh my god, it turns out he is Jesus. I fucking knew it. It's the hair was a dead giveaway. Until... We get to the point where he abandons that pretense completely and just out and out says it. But that's going to come when he starts that downslide into the endgame. Now, sadly, we don't really know that much about the next couple years in regards to the cult's activities because they stay pretty secluded and don't really reemerge in public until 1992. But what we can be sure of in this time is that they really start to come up with a visual idea of what the next level means for the change in their bodies. And, it's, and we see, start to see the first visual representations of it. And if I can find a digital version of this picture that's in Benjamin Zeller's book, I want to post it for everyone to see. Because what you have is you have a human-sized version of what, if you're interested in ufology at all, is your typical gray. I mean, it, it's pretty much... Uh, it's a big old round bulbous head. It's hairless. It has no external ears. It has a teeny tiny little nose. A little lipless mouth. It has gray skin and these big, almond-shaped, dark, pupilless eyes. It's completely genderless. And this is a print... And this picture I'm referring to was a massive printout picture that was blown up to large portrait size and was hung in the houses used by Heaven's Gate members. Still available for viewing on heavensgate.com. Still available on the website. And we'll get into the continuation of the website at the end of this story. Now, by 1992, Applewhite has a problem. Many members have come and gone, as you would expect with a cult like this, and membership in the cult has dwindled to its lowest point since early 1975, numbering as few as 26 members. Now, something has to be done, in Applewhite's opinion, so the group re-emerges with the broadcast via satellite of a 12-part video series called Beyond Human, which was mostly just a reiteration of the 1988 booklet, but also introduced the idea of a universal mind, and uh, quote-unquote, of which the viewers could partake in order to become or to begin becoming candidates for ascension even outside of the small group of members living communally. And I, I think what we see here is the group trying to become more like many of the larger cults out there, which had a wider membership that participated in the doctrine at varying levels, while there is an inner circle of far more dedicated adherents close to the leader who normally will have the more extreme practices. Uh, which we see in groups like People's Temple or uh, Children of God. Well, yeah, in the same time period, you have Om Shinrikyo, which had thousands and thousands of members. Mm-hmm. But in, Om Shinrikyo still had that inner circle. Mm-hmm. They had that inner circle of people in the compound that lived in that compound outside of Tokyo. At the, it's like in the foothills of Mount Fuji yeah, yeah. with Shoko Asahara. Uh, it's the same with the Planning Commission for the People's Temple. It's the same with um, the inner circle, which started practicing... All that in weird incesty stuff uh, with children of God. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I got I got a bad taste in my mouth just mentioning that. <laughs> so in May of 1993, the group now calling itself Total Overcomers Anonymous spent thirty thousand dollars to publish a full page advertisement in USA Today, warning of the catastrophic judgment soon to befall the Earth. 
It reads in part, quote, There are many space aliens that through the centuries of this civilization, and in civilizations prior, have represented themselves to humans as gods. <coughs> Excuse me. We refer to them collectively as Luciferians, for their ancestors fell away from the keeping of the true kingdom of God many thousands of years ago. They are not genderless. They still need to reproduce. They are nothing more than technically advanced humans who have retained some of what they learned while they were in the early training of members of the true kingdom of God, ergo, limited space-time travel, telepathic communication, advanced travel hardware, spacecrafts, etc., increased longevity, advanced genetic engineering, and such things as suspended holograms, as used in some religious miracles, end quote. Full page. Thousands of words of text. And see, this is one of the things that I find interesting. They had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So you know, and most of, the, most of their work came from designing web pages. Mm -hmm. Designing web pages, off-site tech support, which, things yeah, like that. Yeah, it was IT work. It was in mm -hmm. the, the mid-90s. It's whenever IT was booming. Which means you know that in April of 1997, there was some guy going, Oh, I'm going to put my angel. i got to call the webmaster. <laughs> All of a sudden, there were a few less people to call to help you build Just your angel fire domain Just keep going to fucking voicemail. What's this guy's problem? Yeah. Oh, he better be dead. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, in addition to taking to satellite TV and print media, and we're, yeah, we're getting into this now, the idea of the techno cult and the idea of uh, Heaven's Gate being the first true techno cult, Apple White takes to another medium. This one being brand spanking new, the internet. Which, over the last few years of the cult's existence, would become their primary proselytizing tool. Uh, his first post to early message boards included this statement. Quote, I am about to return to my father's kingdom. This return requires that I prepare to lay down my borrowed human body in order to take up or re-enter my body biological that belongs to the kingdom of God, as I did approximately 2,000 years ago as Jesus, where I laid down the human body that was about 33 years old in order to re-enter my body belonging to the kingdom of heaven, end quote. Now he's calling himself Jesus. It was an interesting choice for 2,000 years ago, him to be just as white as he was when he was in 97. Well, we've seen all the pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we... So apparently, and my sister just told me this one, uh, a friend of hers kept sharing the fake one where it was uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, oh yeah. It's like you know, the reason for the season. And legitimately, and then like... Well, was it, was it Obi-Wan Kenobi or Qui-Gon Jinn? It was Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. It was okay. Obi-Wan. And then uh, I guess people like were like, that's not Jesus. It's an, it's an actor. So she deleted it and then later shared it again. Yeah. So he actually did play Jesus a few years after Obi-Wan in a film that I can't remember the name of. Yeah, it was, his, it was like a bit part as Jesus. I think it was the whole film. Was it? Yeah, it was, I think it was, I mean, it was the 40 fair. days when he was in the desert. So, like, Ian McGregor decided to lose, like, it took him 15 pounds to get to, like, emaciated. Yeah, I would say, oh. he's not a big fella. I met him. <laughs> he's not He's not a large man. I mean, Well, it, I don't want to delve too far into sacrilege, but I... Starting to understand why. Oh, I do. Let's. I, I'm starting to understand why the Pharisees were so up in arms. Jesus being the only white guy in the Middle East at the time. Yeah. Oh, I see some flags up. Yeah. I mean, we look. We all know that Jesus would have looked like somebody who would have gotten stopped at airport security every time. Absolutely. Every time. Yeah. He did not look like Ewan McGregor. He did not look like Willem Dafoe. He did not look like Jim Caviezel. 
Caviezel was a little closer, at least. Oh, didn't you say he's that a, he's he got sure as hell didn't look like you, McGregor? I mean, when he was soaked in blood, it really didn't matter what his skin tone was. Yeah. Well, weren't you I'm just saying? He don't that was just a snuff film, but like without as many money shots. <laughs> weren't you, Chris? Weren't you playing a game on Facebook earlier where somebody said it was uh, do a new Muppet movie where you keep one human actor, <laughs> and you oh, said yeah. Passion of the Christ, but keeping Jim Caviezel? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was pretty proud of that one. It felt good typing it. That made that made me laugh quite a lot. So yeah, so you now have he's now taken to the internet, but you also have another paradigm shift in his messaging. He is dispensing with the coded language. He's dispensing with um, the euphemistic language. He is just out and out saying, "I am Christ. I am, you know, I am God's messenger on Earth, and also I'm an alien." I mean, it, yeah, there's no bones about it now. So in it, uh, so <clears throat> excuse me. So these posts result in him being uh, absolutely raked over the coals on these message boards, which proving that the internet has always been something of a snake pit. But it is, <laughs> as I said, a bit of a turning point that, because it's the first time that the group is actually referred to in writing as Heaven's Gate, and this, and it's also a turning point because it's the first time. Um, that since the group has been so isolated and insular that Applewhite gets a sense of rejection. He's now no longer top of the heap. Once he goes out into the internet, the internet proves to be a great equalizer where he finally puts his message that this message that all of his followers are happily nodding along to and fervently agreeing with, he puts it out into the world of the internet and gets absolutely squashed. So what you're saying is he didn't get hit by Skank Hunt 42. Jesus Christ. He got hit by Skank Hunt. <laughs> It was the original. <laughs> yeah, I'm so upset. The one with the domain name. Yeah. Because it's funny. <laughs> it just <laughs> there was a picture of Bonnie Nettles with a dick in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, there's a picture. Man, the only thing I can compare that to is you remember the photo that was going around in like two thousand of uh it was it was the picture of the closet bursting open, and it's the woman holding little Alien Gonzalez yes. instead of an ATF trooper. It's just a naked Janet Reno. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Screaming. Now I'm going to have to get. Now now I'm going to have to get on Blue Waffle to get that thought out of my head. Oh, oh yeah, like it would have been really pleasant watching Bonnie Nettles <laughs> chugging a dick. So, but what I think is what happens is this: this might be the moment where the determinate where Applewhite's determination to actually leave Earth truly becomes real. And I think I also, think of that every time yeah. I'm on the internet, that my will to be on this planet that, disappears. That is fair. I just start asking yeah, for the giant meteor. You defend Last Jedi once on Facebook, and it's just a non-stop hellscape. Yeah. <laughs> so, despite the lack of response from society at large, aside from the message board roast, uh, posters absolutely roasting Applewhite, this outreach into the media actually, it actually works. Particularly the USA Today ad, because it brings over 20 former members back into the fold. So you go from having about a little over two dozen back to about 45 to 50 people. Uh, now by this time, Applewhite is exercising much looser control over his members as well, not regimenting their lives as strictly as he had been, and he's also spending less and less time with them because he's no longer sharing the burden of leading the cult with Bonnie Nettles. Since 1985, he's been shouldering the load himself. And now, gentlemen, uh, I think it's time to talk about the moment we've been anticipating for two and a half episodes now. The castrations. Yeah, I, honestly. Or, or, that's, as you that's would really... call them, or as you would call them, Chris, 
Snipper Magoo. Snipper Magoo. <laughs> uh, so from 1994 to 1995, Applewhite and seven other male members of, of the cult traveled down to Mexico to undergo surgical castration, which they couldn't get in the U.S. The first one happened on where, wherever they were camping, wherever they were living yeah. at the time, by someone in the group that was trained to cut off bull nuts. Yeah. I was going to say, gelded, gelded livestock. Yeah, and, and they went, oh, this won't work. <laughs> well, yeah, they ended up having to take him to the hospital, and if you... If you uh, to hear the story as Sawyer tells it, two yeah. of them wanted to have it happen, and Applewhite said, I haven't gotten the message yet. But then, about three weeks later, he calls him up and says, hey guys, still want to lose your balls? Yeah, good yeah. news. Guess who called? Well, it's so like, yeah, it's like the Mormon idea of prophecy back in the days of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Yeah, very so the much two, so. So the two of them are in this basement... And neither one could decide which one wanted to go first, so they did the honorable thing. They flipped a fucking coin. Yep. They were so excited to do this. That's Uh, the weird part of this. This wasn't done for punishment. This, like, everybody involved enjoyed the hell out of this. They were super pumped to do this. They were arguing over who should go first. Yeah. But since they couldn't get them surgically done in the U.S. without a referral, they went down to Mexico. Where you got enough cash, and Heaven's Gate had cash, you can you can get just about any procedure done. Well, this goes back to the Arius heresy, the Arian yeah. heresy, the idea that sin is a, a, a physical manifestation, and the best way to get rid of sin is to get rid of anything that the sin manifests itself through. Therefore, snip the balls. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything is a physical presence. It, 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 there's a there's no line between this the natural and the supernatural. No. It's so Applewhite explained that they chose to do this uh, quote in order to sustain a more genderless and objective consciousness. Uh, while Heaven's Gate member Stamodi, uh, remember the namings that we discussed in the last episode, uh, indicated that the procedure quote. Blocked the production of hormones that kept the body intoxicated, stupid, empty-headed, and blind. And those are our four new nicknames, by the way. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I mean, I have made a lot of stupid decisions because of what down there was thinking in the moment. I'm pretty Yeah, blind. I mean, I, I get it. Their reasoning yeah. behind it has some... It, it does have some sand. Well, there's a lot but they, of... They got dudes to be like, we should totally cut our dicks off. I was like, well, I'm gonna be the first one to cut my cut my nuts off. The guy's like, no, you're not. I'm gonna go first. Quite a clarification. It was just the nuts. It was just nuts. Just the nuts. Yes, yes. yes, it was. Yeah, it was just testicles. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, what are we gonna say? This. They, well, they, they, well, they didn't clear the, the field is, because there's this weird side of Heaven's Gate that is very science based. And what they saw is they saw that the best way to remove sexual temptation is to remove the hormones that produce it. So that's why they decided that the best way to go about it was to have their testicles removed. Which, to be fair, in the legal system is the same concept behind chemical castration. There Mm -hmm. is an actual basis in science there. Mm -hmm. It's fucky as hell, but there is is some science involved. Yeah. And to dovetail off of what you said, Chris, the first victim, uh, the first participant, got giddy 
Oh, they said they, it, they, they were. They everybody said, was like laughing and high fiving. They, yeah, they were. They were laughing because he was losing his arm yeah. hair. Uh, former members, hormones. former members stated that those undergoing the procedure were super excited about it. They couldn't stop smiling and giggling, both in the run up to the procedure and during the healing process. They were so happy to be rid of their balls. So they all. Un- so these members all underwent a procedure called an inguinal bilateral orchiectomy, where both testicles and the full spermatic cord are surgically removed through an incision in the lower lateral abdomen above the pubic bone. So where your stomach meets your waistline, they make an incision there, they get in there, and they pull everything out through there. Now, normally this is done as a treatment for advanced testicular or prostate cancer. Uh, It's done as a gender-affirming procedure for some trans women and in extreme cases of testicular torsion... Good God. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. It happens. I just felt that like coldness in your stomach. <laughs> I gotta say, no, I read the words testicular torsion and I get to the point where I think maybe Heaven's Gate had a point. These vehicles are fucking weak. <laughs> it's. Man, if that could happen. Oh, no, he's drinking the Kool-Aid. The actual Kool-Aid. It was By the way, I did make it a delicious flavoring. punch for us all to enjoy after yeah. this episode. Yeah, you, you, you want another company besides Nike that got some bad publicity out of a cult? <laughs> I don't know. Just the fact that you can cut open your body, reach in, and pull your balls out like you're well, getting fixed, popcorn they, in the movies. I mean, well, we they, they didn't use any one of your organs. Well, how many people do we know have had heart surgery where they do, they're do they curing, and, where they're operating on an aortal blockage or something by going up through the femoral artery in the thigh? Yeah, that's true. That's a standard procedure now. Yeah. It's where all the catheterizations go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, so what you have is you have this group that has such... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to a joke from the movie Hot Shots. Oh, God. <laughs> whatever, they, they fix bug eyes. They, like, uh, whatever they go... Walleye vision. Yeah, they fix his walleye vision. It's a pretty simple procedure. They go in through the rectum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As someone with Crohn's disease, this is... Pushing into uncomfortable territory. God, Chris, well, you truly are being a pure internet. <laughs> you go in through the rectum. It's <laughs> take, we'll take do it twice like we daily. Did in the Navy. First one to lose die, or the first one to die loses. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's but yeah, what you have here is you have this group that man. I mean, you think society at large has an unhealthy relationship with sex? Holy shit! I mean, to get to the point where you are so terrified of any sexual feeling at all. That you are going to geld yourself, man. That that is on a level that I I don't understand. And I know we talked a lot last time about cult programming, but it's it's and the, the thing that I always come back to with Heaven's Gate that I didn't I didn't expect because I didn't know I didn't know an awful lot about this before we got into yeah. it. But like the bit the difference between Marshall Applewhite and Jim Jones is that Jim Jones was incredibly predatory. Yes, like Jim Jones was physically violent. He stripped you of, of all of your possessions, he all was, of your money. He was like sexually everything. predatory. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's he did. Like he kept people under his thumb. Mm-hmm. Marshall Applewhite didn't do any of this. No, like none. It was through pure force of message and charisma. Everybody was free to leave. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't expect this at all. Because yeah. if you look at Applewhite, he's a creepy looking dude. Mm-hmm. Like he's a creepy fucking guy. And I expected more of that. Yeah. But no, like it was. He, everybody was. They all lived together. They were a big family almost. He, it was so bizarre. He's creepy, but he looks otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you're trying to push the message that you are a part alien who also happens to maybe probably definitely is Jesus Christ. Dude, he looks. He a looks bit, the part. He looks a bit like a photo negative of a gray. Yeah. 
Honestly, he looks like a photo negative of a gray. He has those pale eyes, those big, pale blue eyes, too. And they're always wide when he talks in all those videos. I, yeah. And so, if, you, uh, if you left, you were encouraged. And they said, okay, we, you know, we're, we're going to let you go. And they would provide you a stipend. They would yeah. give you money yeah. to get back on your feet. It's yeah. the only cult I've ever seen that was adamant about, if you're not 120% in on this... Walk away. We support it. Yeah. We'd rather you not be a part of this. Good luck. No hard feelings. And that that's the, the no hard feelings part, too. Is... It, because that's the one thing I think Marshall Applewhite doesn't have that so many other cult leaders have, is that aggressive ego. I mean, cl- clearly there's some part of it there because you have to have something going on in your ego to think of yourself as the alien embodiment of Jesus Christ on Earth resurrected over and over again but man i but yeah there's no leaving is a betrayal to me it's a personal affront to me you know there were cult leaders who when somebody tried to leave the cult you get killed you know that's what they did in option riccio there were dozens of members of option riccio that got murdered and then microwaved had their bodies microwaved down to sludge to be disposed of Mm -hmm. because shoko asahara took it as a personal vendetta against you when you tried to leave Look, you at, don't what see happens, that look at what happens to anybody that leaves the Church of Scientology. I was just going to say exactly that. Yeah. They have hired goons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people who leave the Church of Latter-day Saints who yep. they lose their whole family. Mm-hmm. Because Mormons are very, very, very nice people as long as you toe the fucking line. Yeah. So, um, it's also during this period that all, all of the cult members, uh, on orders from Applewhite, or on suggestion from Applewhite, because he didn't really give orders began to adopt a similar look to one another as well. All dressing in plain, loose-fitting clothing that didn't hug the body, particularly uh, any of the curves of the female members, and wearing their hair short or completely close-shaven, reinforcing the idea of a genderless existence and that of a non-sexual family. They all they all kind of start to look alike, they dress alike. There's not a lot of flashy patterns, it's a lot of plain-colored clothing, and it looks like these uh, Mao Zedong boiler suits, almost. Well, when the, and when some of the uh, victims' families didn't think it was the, their cult after the suicide because their um, family members were women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the initial reports that came out on the 26th said 39 men. Yeah, it was 39 yeah. young men. Yeah, this androgynous look was encouraged. So the internet postings continued, and over the course of 1994 and 1995, they got progressively more paranoid and anti-government in tone. This is where it starts to take an interesting turn. Uh, following the zeitgeist of the time, uh, particularly following the incidents at Ruby Ridge and Waco, mm-hmm. indicating that Applewhite was indeed fearing a raid by government agents. Uh, a series of postings on Usenet, a, an online bulletin board with titles like Undercover Jesus Surfaces, Bypass Death, The Only Way, and War in Heavens, It Has Begun, It Is Real, Encourage new members to drop everything and come down to join the cult, having armed themselves in a last push before the final ascension. And I have a uh, quote here from one of those posts uh, by Marshall Applewhite. How is this laying down of our bodies to occur? If you do recognize me and choose to look to me for guidance, I would recommend that you purchase firearms Get comfortable using them or partner with someone who can. And somehow position yourselves, separate from others, so enough to not be vulnerable, so that you might establish a relationship with me, protected from interference as far as possible. 
In this day and time, the authorities make no bones about their need to protect the public from dangerous radicals like us. They will aggressively attempt to require us to abide by their values and their rules, which are of this Luciferian world and its society, as difficult as that might be to believe. They won't hesitate to trump up charges or suspicions in order to search us or take us into custody so that they can judge for themselves whether or not we are some kind of a threat. There is no need for us to be submissive to their wishes, such as to, to their search or custody questioning, when we know we have broken none of God's laws. Not only have we done nothing wrong, but our total existence is devoted to entering and offering God's world. Our choosing not to not be submissive, coupled with being armed, pretty much addresses the laying down of our bodies question. So in June of 1995, Applewhite packed up the group and everyone moves out to rural Manzano, New Mexico, where they purchased 40 acres of cheap arid land on which to build a compound that they called the Earthship, which was intended to be a monastery-style setting for Applewhite to expand the cult. Now, when you think of a monastery, you think of uh, stonework, brickwork, statues, gardens, colonnaded walkways, that sort of thing, right? This one was made out of tires, lumber, and dirt. Uh, there are pictures of it. It looks rinky-dink as fuck. Uh, it, it, it's straight, like, it looks like something straight out of the Fallout games. Yeah, I was going to say, huh. it's very like Mad Max yeah. in its construction. I was thinking Vegas Vacation. Cousin Eddie. <laughs> All right, kids, everybody. Yes. Rattlesnake Roundup. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. Now, shockingly, uh, building this trash compound out in the desert was a bit of a difficult endeavor, and a combination of a harsh winter beginning to set in and Applewhite's increasingly ill health due to fatigue and an artery blockage that would only be discovered during his autopsy, led them to abandon the scheme and move into several houses in the San Diego area. Now, most of 1996 passed with the members going about their business, making a lot of money, doing work designing websites, doing off-site tech support, as we mentioned earlier. In October of 96, the cult began renting a house they called the Monastery, a 9,200-square-foot mansion at 18341 Colina Norte Drive, and the upscale gated community of Rancho Santa Fe, San Diego's richest suburb, paying $7,000 a month in cash. Now, the same month, the group purchased an alien induction insurance policy that covered up to 50 people. so fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the, I know we like, talked about I looked it up. I'm like, there's yeah. no fucking way. Yeah, way. Fucking way. Yeah. 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 We've been talking about castration all night. The balls on that insurance salesman. He took all of them and just stuffed them in there. He went yeah. in He went in above the pubis. He went down to Mexico. <laughs> they put him right back in there. He walked around with a leather sack of them like a medieval tax collector. Uh, so, but this policy was... ten grand. No. <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, 50 bucks. But the, no, but the policy would pay up to $1 million per person in the case of abduction death, or impregnation by aliens. Could you imagine a look on that cat's face if it fucking happened? Yeah. <laughs> like, the events of the movie Independence Day is just like, I'm ruined! Also yeah. from 97 underwriters! Yeah, right? <laughs> so, what brought these events about? Now, what came about was the appearance in May of 1996 of a 56-mile-wide object in space known as Comet Hale Bop. Discovered in July of 1995 by the astronomers Alan Hale and Thomas Bob, who had to do a lot of press interviews about the cult in 97 and 98, by the way. Yeah, they, they were one of... Uh, there, there's a couple fairly unfortunate uh, victims Yeah, here. people got caught Those two thing. dudes are one of them. Yeah. Uh, so the well, com- you know his nickname was Unskinny. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. 
Stop it. Shut up. So I see somebody else excited for the poison show. <laughs> so the comet was visible to the naked eye for a record 18 months. The previous record was nine months. I distinctly That's remember a long this. ass time. Like, well, I remember, well, I remember yeah, it. This yeah. was a huge deal when we were. We're all old I was, enough to remember Hale Bob. I was ten. I, but yeah. I like this was a huge conversation point. Yeah. I had a stepdaughter one on the way. I yeah. Was, yeah, I could walk outside. You could see it in the daytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember we I I just remember in school our science teacher would, would point it out every single day. Yeah. So but at its perihelion or closest point in its orbit to Earth, it was the second brightest object in the night sky next to the moon. Mm-hmm. Except on nights when there was a new moon and it was the brightest object in the night sky. And in many cases, as you said, it was visible during the day. And it was calculated to be visible from Earth only once every two thousand five hundred and twenty six years. That's the sort of orbital period it had. Now, an amateur astronomer from Houston named Chuck Schrammick took a computer image that he claimed was a UFO following the comet and went on Coast to Coast AM with the legendary Art Bell to announce his big find. Now, that's the thing. You know, big ups to Art Bell. I love George Norrie, though. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) I prefer George Norrie, but I do got a question. Having listened to the tape... Of him interviewing this guy. Yeah. Was, do you think Bell was genuinely excited about the possibility of an object? I think Art Bell knew what made for good radio. Or do you think he was going, oh yeah, cashing that check tonight? Oh yeah, yeah, I think it was very much more than the second. I, I, I know Art Bell was a conspiracy theorist to some extent, but I don't think, even he had his limits. But he knew what his crowd liked to listen to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this Chuck Schrammick interview made for great radio. Um, Now, Marshall Applewhite must have thought something similar, and and although no one is quite sure where this idea came from, he became convinced that aboard that spaceship trailing the comet was the ascended consciousness of Bonnie Lou Nettles, his beloved T, planning to rendezvous with the rest of the crew, collect all of their ascended consciousnesses, I think, and transport them all to an Empyrean destination to be placed into their next level bodies. It was brought to his attention by one of the other, one of the followers had been listening in the kitchen of the mansion. To Coast to Coast AM. To Coast to Coast. And he was the one that said, hey, Doe, I think we got something here. Yeah, ride's here. You might want to listen to this, yeah. (laughs) Your your Uber has arrived. (laughs) That so, insurance agent was like, holy shit. <laughs> Son of a bitch, I'm had. Oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck, I'm ruined. So the closest the comet, and by association the spacecraft, would come to Earth would be on March 22nd, 1997. Now, on either the 19th or the 20th of March, Applewhite filmed himself in a video statement entitled Doe's Final Exit, Oof. asserting the same doctrine about the coming apocalypse and the need to ascend to the next level of consciousness that he had done so many times before, and speaking on the need to dispense of their earthly vehicles in order to ascend. After recording this video, video was recorded of 38 other members giving farewell messages. And these things are fucking harrowing. They exist. Chilling. Absolutely. They exist. Yeah, I had to watch them, I would yeah. not recommend it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be in the right frame of mind. Like I had a really time watching, a really hard time watching some of these. And I was really shaken up by their attitudes because they're so happy to yeah, the, die. The oh, joy. Yeah. Yep. The joy on their face. The actual legitimate joy. Ecstatic is the, the only uh, word I have for it. The Apple White video is pretty unsettling. Yeah, it's those, pretty those unsettling. Final Exit is a lot to watch, but man, the, it's the, pretty unsettling. But the difference between 
the video of him and the video of those people. Oh, they're, they're wildly different. Yeah. But the tone is very upbeat. Oof. But it's, and they're not short. That's the thing. If you don't know no. what's coming, it's like, wow, these people are really happy. Good for them. When you know what the end game is, oh, fuck, dude. And a lot of them, they tiptoed around the end game. They weren't saying directly yeah. that, hey, we're about to, you know, two days we're going to off ourselves. Yeah. So, March 21st, 1997, all 39 of the members gathered at the monastery, went out to the Marie Callender's restaurant in Carlsbad, California, for their last supper. At this big group dinner, which sounds like the easiest 39 top ever, <laughs> by the way, uh, they all had the same thing. They all had iced tea to drink, dinner salads with a tomato vinegar dressing, turkey pot pies as an entree. Of course, it's Marie Callender's. Yeah. And blueberry cheesecake for dessert. Witnesses said they appeared happy, that they were friendly, polite, and tipped very generously. Mm-hmm. All dressed the well, exact same way. Mm-hmm. And that's because three days beforehand, they had taken a trip to Vegas, Vegas, where they had gone on some of the big rides, and they even gambled. And they have it in their ledger that they gambled, which here's what I don't understand. We're trying to avoid temptation and sin. We're going to cut our nuts off. But man, I really want to put it on that black roulette table. Come on, yeah. baby, I want to roll that knuckle bone. If, if if you're not going to need the money in four days, then true. Although apparently they did get onto the coaster on top of the stratosphere tower on like the fourth day it was open. Wow, <laughs> that's a marketing point. Yeah, yeah, I know Marie Callender's head. They were another one that that had to come out and give a statement. Yeah, there was. Pretty fucked up. Marie Callender's like maybe the most wholesome of all of them. Like, That's the thing, too. This is the most commercially toxic cult suicide. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like just imagine imagine these people waking up. The PR <laughs> department's of Marie Callender's. Nike, first of all. Oh. Whatever, you just turn on the just, TV and you just, just see so you just see shoes. Dude, there's so much fucked up product placement I, in this I, story. I, I, I remember the news stories that morning oh, at yeah, that age, and everyone was just the sneakers coming out from under, under a blanket. The purple, the under the, the main thing you see. Yep. And see, that really could have fucked up Prince's career had he still been named Prince at that point. Yeah, he was just the... I believe he was just the artist mm-hmm. at that point. He wasn't yes. the artist formerly yeah, artist, but I believe he was he just was the, the symbol. artist. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was the symbol. His royal badness. So, March 22nd, 1997, the suicides began. The members... 21 women and 17 men, ranging in age from 26 to 72, all dressed in identical matching uniforms. Black tracksuits with the tops bearing a triangular Heaven's Gate Away Team patch on the upper left arm, and a pair of black and white Nike Decade sneakers. They all have with them a small Ziploc bag containing identification and their usual kit of a $5 bill and three quarters. The first group of 15 members ingested a mixture of either pudding or applesauce mixed with phenobarbital, a powerful barbiturate normally used in the treatment of epilepsy, extreme insomnia, or as an aid in surgical recovery. They washed it all down with glasses of vodka, laid down on their bunks, and had plastic bags secured over their heads to induce asphyxiation once they had passed out from the mixture of the phenobarbital and the booze. After they died, their fellow cult members removed the bags, laid the bodies out so that they were posed neatly in their own beds, Cleaned up the bodies because when you die, you often release your waste and mixing barbiturates and booze often results in vomiting and covered the torsos and faces with square purple cloths. Another group of 15 followed them, 
assisted by the third group, a final group of nine, over the next two days. It's believed that Applewhite was the third to last person in the house to die, placed on the bed in the master bedroom, and the last two members were found with the plastic bag still over their heads and not covered by the purple cloths. In a cruel, strange twist of fate, among the dead was Thomas Nichols, brother of actress Nichelle Nichols, best known for her role as Lieutenant Uhura mm. in the original Star Trek series, which inspired so much of the cult's look, beliefs, and method of departure. I so want... I, I, as I was reading this, I so wanted Applewhite to be one of the last two, just because, fuck that dude. No. Yeah, you want him to watch. I, I wanted, him, I wanted uh, him to be found with a fucking bag over his head. It's the same it, thing. Well, it no, showed the same their thing commitment with... to a level that's just... See, you've seen other cults where, like, the first wave will go and other people kind of come to their senses and they see this horror show and they're like, well, ah, maybe this was a shit idea. That didn't happen here. No. Every single one of them watched this happen in waves, cleaned the bodies, rearranged them, and then continued to... And that's, I'm what, fine and, with well, this. that's what makes it different from People's Temple and the Order exactly. of the Solar Temple. These I've heard big, of People's Temple videos. People realized people what was happening and people went to screaming. change their minds. Then the guns came yeah. out. Yeah, the guns yeah. came out. People were injected by force. You have um, Order of the Solar Temple where people were asphyxiated with garbage yep. bags. They were ambushed. They were shot in the back of the head by ambush. Yeah, There's you don't no evidence of force people. here at all. Uh, and speaking of these people, I don't want all of them to remain nameless, so... I want to tell right. I want to tell you all just a little bit about a few of them. Jacqueline Leonard of Des Moines, Iowa was 72, a retired medical assistant. Michael Sando, 26, of Abington, Virginia, was a former paratrooper with the 101st Airborne Division and had seen combat in Operation Desert Storm and was his high school senior class president. Yvonne McCurdy Hill, 38, of Cincinnati, Ohio, worked for the U.S. Postal Service. Lucy Ava Pesho, 63, from Pueblo, Colorado, was a computer trainer with Packard Bell. Joyce Scala, 58, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, was married to a former Navy officer and was an on-air reporter for the local TV news station. Gary St. Louis, 43, of Modesto, California, was a computer programmer for United Airlines. Three former members would also go on to commit suicide. On May 6, 1997, Wayne Cook and Charlie Humphrey died by similar methods to their former cultmates in a hotel in Arizona. James Perky Jr., another former member, died by self-inflicted gunshot wound on May 13, 1997, in Atlanta. And right before the suicides began, the cult mailed two VHS tapes to both former member Rio D'Angelo and the BBC department responsible for the production of the journalism program Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends, which was Louis Theroux's first TV show, on which the cult had declined to appear, <laughs> containing Doe's final exit and all the farewell messages, as well as a letter that can best be described as the group's collective suicide note. <laughs> D'Angelo traveled from Los Angeles down to Rancho Santa Fe, finding the back door of the mansion purposely unlocked and entered to find the 39 bodies throughout the house. He filmed what he saw with his video camera, and upon leaving the house was encouraged by his boss to alert the authorities. At 3.15 p.m. on March 26, 1997, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department received an anonymous tip through their 911 system suggesting that they check the welfare of the residents at the address in the monastery. The anonymous caller ended up being Rio D'Angelo. A lone deputy entered the home through a side door, found ten bodies, and nearly passed out due to the pungent smell of several dozen corpses already starting to decay in the heat of the Southern California spring, and I can imagine he wasted no time in getting back up there ASAP. 
In the next couple months, a media circus erupted. And Applewhite's picture was all over the front pages of Time, Newsweek, People Magazine, and dozens of major newspapers. TV coverage was huge, but one interesting area where these events really made waves was in the world of fringe conspiracy thought. Applewhite's language regarding Luciferian aliens is very similar to the language used by, by famed conspiracy theorist Bill Cooper in his book, Behold a Pale Horse, <laughs> mm. which refers to a Luciferian control over the one world of the One World Shadow Government, or the yep. New World Order, depending on which term you prefer to use. And according to Cooper, these Luciferians are also aliens in order to dominate economies, governments, and cultures. In the period after the mass suicide, there were a lot of rumblings in the conspiracy world and in militia and in Christian identity groups, which of course thought these Luciferians were in fact the Jews, that members of Heaven's Gate were not the victims of mass suicide, but instead the victims of murder by the New World Order meant to silence a group that was onto their secrets. Combine, them, combine this with the tone of the online bulletin board post that I read earlier, and there starts to be this strange connection begins to build between these far-right militia loons and this weird, esoteric UFO cult, and it never completely goes away. How, how long after this was Bill Cooper's fatal standoff? Uh, I can't remember. I don't know. I can't remember. Now, of course, there is the legacy of what happened with Heaven's Gate. Now, the first point that we've discussed before is that there are still technically active members of the cult. A few people, somewhere between two and four, depending on who you ask, who are true believers. Two members believed to be Mark and Sarah King maintain the, the cult's website, which we've talked about several times, even though much of it appears to have not been changed at all since 1997. Uh, there are a couple other people. Now, you wanted to bring one up, Mike? There, uh, there was one in the interview with one of the podcasts that mm -hmm. we've gone over. His, his name, he goes by Sawyer. Yeah. He was one of the first. Uh, he did not end up castrated and left the cult shortly after the castration incident. But he still, to this day, he ended up marrying and having a child, and he says that he doesn't regret it. Yeah. He still believes. Yeah, and another person who still believes is a man named Jason Bartell, who is also known as Sir Lottie, who left the cult in 1994, but still adheres to all of their doctrine, who maintains a WordPress, a WordPress blog and a YouTube channel, and is still a strong advocate for his departed crew. <laughs> Uh, in their first episode following the mass suicide, Saturday Night Live aired a sketch where the cult really did end up in space. It's super fucking funny. It's, it Will is Ferrell. Funny. Will Ferrell is Marshall Applewhite. They're just having a big party. Yeah. <laughs> um, followed by a commercial parody featuring footage of the Nike-clad corpses for Keds marketed for level-headed Christians. <laughs> you know, uh, the only statement Nike made was in regards to that skit. Yeah. Nike never... They, and huh. it, I think that's the right the right way yeah. to do it is just simply don't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing they said it was to add week. Uh, they said Heaven's Gate was a tragedy. It had nothing to do with Nike. Yeah. And that's the and they, only statement they ever made. I mean, and those were those were Nike decades. If you had a grandparent in the early nineties, your grandfather owned a pair of Nike decades. Oh, I we'll can get to the it. shoes in a moment. I can guarantee it. I want to I want to get to the shoes last. Um, so the group is also mentioned in the Jodie Foster film Contact, in relation to the reception of a message from outer space. Uh, they're not mentioned directly, but they do talk about mass cult suicides in Southern California in connection uh. to the events of the movie, um, which was worked in in the filming process because the movie was being yeah. filmed while these events happened. Um, and at least one copycat mass suicide was narrowly averted in 1998 
when a group known as the Training Center for the Release of the Atma Energy, uh, led by a German psychologist named Dr. Heidi Fitkow-Gartha, who also had connections to the Order of the Solar Temple, oh, another suicide cult, yep. was going to commit suicide at Teide National Park on Tenerife in the Canary Islands by drinking fruit juice laced with poison in order to have their souls taken onto a spacecraft to an un uh, unspecified location. <laughs> But a police raid after a tip-off found the poison, and the group was disbanded before any lives were lost, thank God. But see, the German cult would have had the dance party on the spaceship. Totally. <laughs> All dressed the same, like yeah. uh, Mike Myers and Sprockets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and finally, there are the shoes. The identical white and black Nike Decade sneakers that we mentioned that all of the dead cult members were wearing had become a heavily sought-after collector's item after the style was discontinued due to its macabre associations. Surviving members state that the shoes were purchased due to cost, not style, and Nike certainly didn't appreciate the free advertising, as we talked about. An unworn pair was discovered in a storage unit in Arizona in 2017. It was put up on eBay bearing Applewhite's stupid face as one of the photos on the page. They fetched a final price of $6,660 at auction. It's pretty on the nose. And to this day, the website reads, quote, Red alerts! Hale-Bopp brings closure to Heaven's Gate. Whether Hale-Bopp has a, quote, companion on it or not is irrelevant from our perspective. However, its arrival is joyously very significant to us at Heaven's Gate. The joy is that our older member in the evolutionary level above human, the kingdom of heaven, has made it clear to us that Hale-Bopp's approach is the marker we've been waiting for. The time for the arrival of the spacecraft of the level above human to take us home to their world in the literal heavens. Our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth is finally coming to a conclusion. Graduation from the human evolutionary level. We are happily prepared to leave this world and go with T's crew. <laughs> so one final weird part of this story is that of Marshall Applewhite's daughter, Lane Applewhite Sands. Now, of course, uh, Marshall hadn't been in her life since 1973, but she went on to marry a guy named the Reverend Benny Sands, who was an evangelical preacher in Corp uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, who was convicted in the 1984 bludgeoning to death with a crowbar of a 16-year-old girl whose nude body was found on South Padre Island. He was sentenced to 23 years in prison, of which he only served 16 years. <laughs> but it gets worse. Their daughter, Hannah Sands Overton, is currently serving a sentence of life without parole for poisoning her four-year-old foster child, Andrew Bird, to death in 2006 with a mixture of salt, chili powder, and water that she made him drink out of sippy cups as punishment. The poor boy was also covered in burns, bruises, and scratches, and investigators found that he was made to sleep on a piece of plywood rather than a mattress and would be strapped down to it all night, unable to get up or even move. For this... Hannah and Benny, we offer you the first official Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades fuck you and rot in hell award of 2020. Yeah. It's question. Yeah, without question. It's, 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 it's hearing things like that that makes me question my stance on capital punishment. I, if there's ever a... We want to Those are the kind of stories I expected to see more of dealing with a suicide cult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah honestly. And it, I mean, those are really the only ones. They're heinous. They're incredibly heinous. But um, now, despite the weirdness of this whole story, we must always remember that these were people and they were victims. Yes. They were victims, if not of a man, they were victims of circumstance. They were turned into weapons against themselves. 
They left behind family, friends, and loved ones. And I want to finish with some of Deb Simpson's words from Closing the Gate about <clears throat> her brother, James Perky Jr., the last victim of the Heaven's Gate cult. His video is still online. Yeah. I think it's, it's on their website. Let me check. It's still online. Tuesday, May 13th, 1997, Tampa, Florida. Aunt Kay called today to tell me that Jimmy was dead. A part of me had been expecting it since the mass suicide a few weeks ago, but it still seemed impossible that the little brother I had babysat, potty trained, and helped care for could be gone. I heard the sob in my aunt's voice as she spoke into the phone. I'm so sorry. I have to tell you this. Jimmy is dead. I sat on the edge of the bed, unable to move. As my voice cried, oh God, oh no, no. My mind began to whirl with thoughts of my brother. Large, sad brown eyes. Playing in the sand with his cars. Reading in his room. Alone. Always alone. Now dead and forever alone. It seemed to me on that warm day in May that the world was moving in slow motion. Nothing quite real. Nothing quite true. My feet were unable to find the floor. My eyes unable to focus. The sound of the world outside was muted and far away. Everything seemed to exist in some distant haze. I could hear my aunt's voice on the phone and my fiancé's voice next to me, but I couldn't comprehend what they were saying. I heard myself ask the questions. When? Where? How? I heard my aunt answer, but I couldn't understand her words. I struggled to picture the events she described and simultaneously tried to prevent myself from picturing them. Jimmy left a letter explaining that he had to leave, that he didn't intend to hurt anyone. He then dressed in purple garments and new tennis shoes, as his Heaven's Gate family had done, lay down on his bed and placed a gun to his heart. He died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. My little brother was now lying in the Fulton County morgue and I needed to drive to Atlanta to make arrangements for his last remains. I thought about Jimmy growing up in Atlanta, about playing cars with him and making caves in the dirt to be garages for his cars. I remember his brown eyes peeking out from behind mother silently and warily. I thought about his sudden departure from our lives when he joined the cult and how he had been changed during those months with them. I thought about Jimmy's wishes regarding his burial and how often he said that the body was simply a vehicle for the soul. He truly believed that his soul had gone to the next level and that vehicle had remained behind. It was nothing more than a shell. I struggled with my own desire to have a funeral for him and his desire to allow the vehicle, the shell, to return to the earth. I wondered if any of the family would attend a funeral or memorial service since they were still upset with him for not coming to see Mother before she died. After 500 miles of thought, I still had made no decision. To everyone listening, if you are considering suicide for any reason, please, please talk to someone. And let them help you get whatever assistance you need to see tomorrow. Again, the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one 800 273-8255. They offer confidential help for free. Again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. And also, if you're concerned that someone you know may be involved in a cult and is at risk, please contact www.familiesagainstcultteachings.org for resources that can help. Again, that is www.familiesagainstcultteachings.org. That's the story of Marshall Applewhite in Heaven's Gate. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty rough. I told you it was going to get heavy. It gets heavy, and it gets heavy because, and I, I just keep circling back to it, and I hope this is something that everybody gained from learning about it, is that this, these people were all in. Yeah. Everybody was on board. Nobody was threatened. Nobody was beaten. Nobody was trapped. 
No, it's, these people were 100% in on this. Yeah. You were welcome to leave at any time. And they and a lot of people did. There's one thing it said the cult had, um, I don't know, it was the, the members. They had 42 members. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. That cult had likely over 1,000 members yeah, since Yeah, at least the better part of 1,000 over the yeah. time of yeah. their existence. And the people just left. And it was a no hard feelings thing. Like they, they just left. They went about their way. And, which is why it seemed kind of innocuous. I'll tell you what else I find interesting. I, I, you can tell that all of these cult leaders, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 90s, a lot of them I don't think believe everything they're saying. There is a cynical element to their cult leadership. Oh, it's yeah. more about power. It's about control. I don't think Applewhite had that cynical element. No. He was, he was clearly a very ill man. Clearly mentally ill, clearly delusional, and that puts us in this difficult position of you have this guy who ended up taking the lives of 41 other people because of the things he taught them, indirectly though it may have been, and yet somehow he is still a bit of a sympathetic character. I think one of the most gut-wrenching things for all the things that we researched and listened to and saw, as, as, as bad as the exit videos were, there was a phone call between one of the members and their family. And she had been young. She was 18 or 19 when she joined. She had gone across the country, fallen in love with a guy. The guy left her. He, she ended up getting involved with Heaven's Gate. And you hear this conversation between her and her father her father knows she's in a cult and was trying to bring her out. And he'd gone to different seminars and was trying to um, figure out a way to to talk how to talk to her when they contacted. And he got on the phone and he said, "Hey, honey, when are you coming home?" And just in a very, very sing-song, almost gleeful voice, yeah. he said, "I don't know, probably never." Yeah. And it's when you know the end game, when you know how it turns out, it is one of the most heart wrenching things that you can ever hear. Yeah, it, and it's so strange when you look at how ecstatic they were to get yeah. out of here. It is. How happy they were all the time to be denying themselves such these, ba- these such basic things and to be undergoing these procedures like the castration and then to end their lives. That's something that is so foreign to us, I think, because we associate suicide with despair. You, or we associate <laughs> suicide with things like um, defeat in the case of um, ritual suicide for in, like the Japanese army in World War II or anything like that. We associate it with despair. We associate it with violence. We associate it with failure. We associate it with darkness. And yet, to these people, there was this bright, shining future in front of them they couldn't wait to get to. I mean, I have seen and written or read things before where you have people who make the decision. Yeah. A not insignificant amount of time before they they go through with the act. Mm -hmm. You know, often it's a few days, a few weeks, and there does seem to be that clarity there where the 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 turmoil they're going through. Yeah. Suddenly, there's an endpoint. There's a, there's, a, there's a solution to it, and it's, Lord knows it's not the right one, but for them in that moment, there is a bit of peace that happens, that kind of sits in there. And it seems like that is something we see here, where, you know, 
the world's a difficult, awful place sometimes. Mm-hmm. And for this, these 40-some people, they, for them, it was almost over. Yeah. Yeah. And well, Professor Zeller got into studying Heaven's Gate because he was actually, he, he was kind of a student of religion at the time yeah. that, the, that the suicides happened. And he interviewed Chuck, the, uh, Charlie, the one that died. He wasn't with the group. He was, um, it was after. Um, yeah. He was in with Wayne. He didn't die at the hotel. Yeah, it was he a failed suicide. Yeah. It was a failed suicide attempt. And then a couple of days later, he, he, he tried again. Tried again and succeeded. But Zeller had been interviewing him. And one of the things, and you were talking about wrapping your head around it, the thing that Zeller brings up is that to us it's despair. We are sad. We are horrified by these things. We say, how could you do this? How is this possible? Charlie wasn't sad. No. No. Neither were the other 41 people. They weren't sad about this happening. They were looking forward to it. Yeah, we associate suicide with despair and with giving up. And what these people were edging towards was the exact opposite. And that's scary. That's It's absolutely terrifying. It's just such a foreign thought to us. So, yeah, that's the story of Heaven's Gate. This has been our longest series yet, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening. Um, so I know we had the challenge at the beginning of the episode. And end on a lighter note. First, first off, um, speaking of shoes, what's everybody wearing today? Oh, s- <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, I can't be seen in Nikes. What a terrible look that would be. Well, technically, mine are Converse, so they're kind of Nikes. <laughs> I'm but, wearing Puma driving shoes, because that's the kind of pretentious piece of shit I am. Oh, no. Are you, you proud? Are. <laughs> are, are, are you proud of what you're wearing, Rob? I'm wearing New Balances. Boy, is he proud. It was two weeks ago. Boy, is he proud. Yeah, yeah. Shovel the shit on again. Those fellas. look pretty new, man. Did you get those for Christmas from White Jesus? <laughs> He's the reason for the season. <laughs> The alien astronauts. <laughs> I don't even celebrate Christmas with brown Jesus associated. It's no, ew, ew. What? I can't I, be I proud do, of I that. Do a, I do a joyful secular I celebrate celebration with brown Jesus. We yeah. all know the true reason for the season is the birth of Santa Claus. Pure, pure <laughs> baby Yoda drinking out of a soup cup. Oh God, that baby Yoda. Oh, baby Yoda. I'm going to put one, as soon as those figures come out, every single tabletop manger I'm finding is getting I have a Baby Yoda ornament on my tree right now. Yeah. On the Sithmas tree? Go, go look. It's, uh, the Sithmas tree didn't actually make it up mm. this year. Go look. It's up top. All right. Uh, go look later. <laughs> we have a podcast. Uh, I do have, uh, I did pull up eBay. You can buy a pair of black Nike Decade Heaven's Gate Vintage 1993 Original Black and White Sports. Oh, shut the fuck up. They don't have that written. $99.99. No, buy it now with free shipping. Uh, another description, uh, $550, Nike Air Decades 90 Vintage Rare. The description, dead stock, original box, collector's item. If you're reading this, you know what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate I hate this place. <laughs> I hate this world sometimes. Maybe they uh, Also, something. clarification real quick, Bill Cooper died in November 6, 2001. 2001, thank okay. you. Okay. Did I Oh, here's the uh, $6,660. Oh, yes, Mike, off. you had a correction from the first I episode of the series. From the first episode of the series, I, I completely forgot. I have a correction. I got a an email from a listener, and during the first episode, I used the phrase excessive masturbation. 
This kindly listener informed me that there is no such thing as excessive masturbation. The word I was looking for was furious. Also acceptable <laughs> would have been inappropriate or ill-timed. Mm. So thank you. Uh, keep the emails coming. We appreciate them. <laughs> Keeping us honest. <laughs> so does anybody have a resolution for 2020? Man, I didn't even think about it. I was too busy thinking. Like, I'm not going to join a cult. Go with that. <laughs> yeah, quitter. Uh, I I would like to start a cult. Uh, I'm gonna. I think I'm going to uh, embrace the theme of the Roaring Twenties and only drink unregulated alcohol that was made in someone's bathtub. Michael. Um, I was gonna go with the start a cult thing, so. I kind of well, I mean, we can do it. It's not like only one guy's allowed to say I'm going to go to the gym. Like, I'll go to my Planet Fitness on the first. You won't find a parking space. Go there on the third, and you will. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I'm looking up here but side effects is, of excessive masturbation. My mine is definitely going to be the Bob Craig and sex cult. Yeah, mm. now we're talking. Well, and I, I, it's going to it's it will involve cocaine and pubes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, now of course, the talking. original Bob Crane sex cult involved cocaine and pews because 1970s. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my resolution, uh, I'm actually going to play off of something Mike mentioned. Uh, ill-timed masturbation. Furious masturbation. Because if I'm engaging in masturbation, then that makes it clear that I am not a fucking proud boy, you fucks. <laughs> Lay off my shoes. <laughs> I am not riding to spring training with you. I'm sure you're... Not in that plane. <laughs> I'll come out look, I'll come come out looking like Bill Murray in Ghostbusters or something. Uh, oh, God. Oh, I heard they got no. some internet out California way. Uh ladies and gentlemen, we're about to uh make an unscheduled landing in Raleigh. The police will be waiting for us because of the man in seat sixteen D. We ask that everybody remain seated. Uh I am looking up I'm trying uh, now C D C list list the phrase excessive masturbation. It's in there. So I don't. I don't know. I mean, uh, we'll, get, we'll have to get. Much, maybe we'll have to. It's a much better condition to have than a lot of the things you're going to read on. The uh, there are no this physically harmful side effects of masturbation. Excessive no masturbation I... can harm your relationships in everyday life. Oh, that's, I mean, I'm going to say, God, you have climbing calluses. How do you feel about this? That's listen, Dr. Drew. Listen, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Phil stuff. It becomes excessive you when it physically idiot. hurts. <laughs> <laughs> also, when your climax is a sad cough. Maybe take a day off. Well, the good news is, just do it in a lab coat. You can claim it for science. <laughs> I, Maybe that, that's definitely something. Start, start writing grant letters. Boy, there's an awful lot of hits on excessive masturbation. I'm just, I'm being real careful about what I'm clicking on. Yeah, your your search history is going to be yeah, more am, interesting than it already. I is. am playing with fire here. All right. Well, so to distract you from your your current path that you are walking down, Chris, where can they find us on social Since media? Since I'm already on the internet, if you want to get in touch with us, you can hit us up at trrpod at gmail.com. If you want to send any emails to Michael about excessive masturbation, that's a pretty easy way. We'll make sure it gets to him. Uh, on Instagram, you can find us at trrpod. And send pictures. Oh, yeah. We'll scientifically discern what is excessive and what is not, and Mike will be the arbiter of this. Thank you. Um, you can find us on Twitter at podcast trr. Uh, if you just search, that's these, a hell of a thesis defense. Uh, that's my man over here. This guy puts the hours. Look in. at it. If you want to find Let us, on let me show Facebook. you a demonstration. Oh Jesus Christ! I'm muting his mic. 
Uh, you can find us on Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades if you search that on Facebook. And if you like what we do, you can find us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash trrpod. Yep, you can uh, you can get sort of all sorts of exclusive content, such as uh, Chris and, and... A drunken Christmas message. drunken Christmas message from Chris Miller. Yep. So, yes, uh, I know it was a heavy episode today. Next time, we are definitely lighting it, lightening it up. Yeah, this, we, is, this is for us as much yeah. as it is for you. Dear yeah, Christmas. we gotta... Absolutely. This is our... Uh, this is our aperitif for a, a very uncomfortable meal. We are talking about Giacomo Casanova, the original <laughs> Nova Nova himself. Leads, leads quite naturally uh, from our conversation regarding excessive masturbation. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and his first name is Giacomo. Oh, <laughs> cool. Cool. That's how we're starting 2020? Damn right we are. Yeah. All right. Um <laughs> Climbing calluses and excessive masturbation. Coming into 2020 to take a load off. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, you jerks. So, offs, the jerks feeling's off. mutual. <laughs> I'm going to have a stroke. Stroke? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, at least I waited until this point in the podcast to, to get just off completely the, to come, come off the rails. That's how you can tell we've matured. It usually happened around like the twenty. Uh, yeah, well, with look, with regards to excessive masturbation, just one final note on technique from myself, Chris Miller, Michael Arnett, Kyle Graper, the whole crew here. If you're going to masturbate excessively, whatever you're gripping on, hold fast. Hold fast.